James Finley, in his book, Following the Mystics Through the Narrow Gate, says, the mystic is not somebody who says, look what I've experienced, look what I've achieved. The mystic is the one who says, look what love has done to me. There's nothing left but the being of love itself, giving itself away as the concreteness of who you simply are. And so here I am. And Jeremiah was right. I was going to um, read Ephesians 3 to you, um, verses 7 through 10 in the message version. So you guys could just listen. Has really resonated what um, I was feeling this week. This is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. And so here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. The inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. As I was thinking about this, about why why are we here? Why are we doing this? Um, It's not easy. If we wanted easy and comfortable, we wouldn't be doing this. Um, So I thought about verse 19. He says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And I was doing a little bit of research about what that know means. And in Greek, it's the kenosko know. And this means to personally, intimately, and experientially know something. Kenosko is relational. It's not oida know, which is just knowledge about something through observation. So this idea of knowing is not by ourselves, in our home, listening to a sermon. It could be a great sermon. Um, It's not about reading a great book, which is good. The knowledge is good. But it's through experience. It's this knowing and being seen by others and being loved by others. Kurt Thompson, a psychiatrist and neuroscientist and a believer, says, we come into this world looking for someone, looking for us. And while I was researching his work, I found a blog post, um, and I wanted to read an excerpt from it because I couldn't say it any better. The author's name is Jennifer Phillips. At the heart of this earthly desire is a spiritual one. Our mother's eyes our father's gaze, the reflections of the fathers, the one who says, do you see me? I see you. We're all born looking for someone, looking for us. And somewhere along the way, we believe we must earn that gaze, not just from the father, but from the world too. And so our eyes dart, dart, dart. Will you love me? And how about you? What tricks must I do? What hoops must I jump through? We control and manipulate perform and beg. Do you see me now? Are you looking for me now? When we discover we can't hold the world's gaze, we build walls of self-protection. 
We put up signs in front of our hearts that say, no entry beyond this point, and regard. We play the game of social propriety and expectations. We say we're fine because to say something else is just too risky. Love is given to a point. Love is received to a point. We're all born looking for someone who is looking for us, but that desire can get dulled as shame says, you wouldn't want me anyway. And self-protection says, I will not fully trust you with my heart. Shame wants us to hide and be isolated. And if you've been hurt by a church community before, it makes sense why you wouldn't trust, why you wouldn't want to do this opening up and exposing yourself. The shame says, I am not enough. I am bad. Don't expose yourself. And this is exactly what was happening last night as I was fighting with David. We are both in a shame cycle. And when that shame cycle happens, what we do is we throw darts at each other, saying, you are this, you are that, because it's so hard to face ourselves. And yet, God uses marriage and community like this and friendship for the healing process. I'm like, why? Why would you use these broken vessels? And why is this your way, God? Why can't it be easier? And Renee Brown talks about vulnerability and how if you put shame in a Petri dish and you put it in the dark, keep it by itself, that shame will grow. But you expose it to the light, you bring community around it, and love and vulnerability, then that shame cannot grow and it's obliterated. But when you think about a Petri dish, it's messy. It's not clean. Kurt Thompson again says, to this God whom we meet in Jesus, we must direct our attention if we are to know the healing of our shame. We must literally look to Jesus in embodied ways in order to know how being loved in community brings shame to his knees and lifts, lifts us up and into acts of goodness and beauty. Jennifer Phillips in her blog post continues with a video of, I wish we had technology here, but we don't, it's okay. Um, 88-year-old dad being reunited with his 53-year-old Down syndrome son after being apart for the first time ever. And she says, did you see how the son tore down the escalator? Did you see him push past those in his way? Did you see him fling himself into his father's arms and kiss his 88-year-old face over and over without caring who was watching? And did you hear their conversation? Did you have a good time? Yes, I was looking for you. I think heaven will be like this, loving and being loved with complete abandon, knowing and being known with no self-consciousness, no inhibitions, no walls. Can you even imagine? Can you even fathom what it would be like to love with no pretense, no immature motives? Can you imagine what it will be like to entrust yourself to another fully without a single hesitation? Can you imagine letting yourself receive love in its purest form? I can't yet. But we get a taste of this kind of love now um, so that we can have a glimpse of what it will be like to experience it in full in heaven. So in our broken, insufficient ways, we are trying to reflect God's love for one another, saying, I was looking for you. 
And I love that in this small church, we get to notice when someone's missing. That we get to say, hey, I was looking for you. You weren't here. So how do we show up in community to bring shame to its knees? And what would stop us from doing that? As I was um, looking up, what is the opposite of love? Because God talks a lot about love in this passage. It's not hate. It's indifference. Prominent Austrian psychologist Wilhelm Steckel wrote in The Beloved Ego, he says, there is no love without hate and there is no hate without love. The opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. The, op- the opposite of feeling can only be the absence of feeling. Disinclination, which is colored by feeling, often only serves the purpose of concealing and protecting oneself against an inclination. Love and hate must go hand in hand and the people we love most we hate also because hate is grounded in the nature of love. I'm glad we had the opportunity to lament this morning and to lament the fact that we have been indifferent because it's safer and easier to not feel so deeply. Brene Brown says, I want to be in the arena. I want to be brave with my life. And when we make the choice to dare greatly, we sign up to get our asses kicked. We can choose courage or we can choose comfort, but we can't have both, not at the same time. So she does, she does talk a lot about vulnerability, this idea of having courage and what does that courage look like. Um, for a lot of my life, I've lived, I thought, in a vulnerable way. But there were certain things I always kept hidden because I said, that is not okay to share. Somehow it was the, the hurt that people had done to me. I was free to share because that was not on me and that was not something I did. It was done to me and I could share about being a victim. And yet when I think about confessing true things that I struggle with, it was really hard. And recently at a We Want More retreat, I was able to be confronted with myself. Um, I had been struggling with shopping for quite some time and at this retreat one woman started sharing about her alcohol addiction and then another started sharing about being a a ex-spouse of a sex addict and I thought I need to just share I need to start really exposing this petri dish of shame to the light and I shared and when I did I was met with lots of grace as you would imagine and I was met with community of sisters who were saying, I struggle with that too. Let's do something together. And when I examined what was the root of my shopping addiction, it reminded me of a story of a child who wanted so badly to belong. I was a part of a community of white girls who had the best shoes, kids, the blue little thing on the back of the heel, um, with the guest jeans with that little triangle on your butt. (laughs) I thought, that's what I need to belong. Then I'll be seen not as a stranger, not as an alien. Recently, um, we had a tea party and Ariana was doing some shopping at an antique store, picking up some teacups and she picked up some Asian ones, Oriental ones. And she's like, what about these? I was like, no, I hate those. And I couldn't. And she's like, Why? And I had to think about it for a second. I was like, these women are objectified on these things. They're just looked at as these pretty objects that people can own. 
I was like, I don't like that. So it helped that I was able to awaken that anger and that hurt and talk about it. So when you think about um, your life, what are you looking for in a counterfeit way? What are you looking to to satisfy you? Ways in which you're trying to find acceptance from things that will not satisfy. Paul then goes on to say, and I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath, test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. So as I was thinking about this idea, what does it mean to live a full life? I was doing my spiritual direction and the movie Free Guy came up in my mind. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie with Ryan Reynolds. I'll read the summary for you in case you haven't. And hopefully this is not gonna ruin it in case you want a spoiler alert. When a, bl- when a bank teller, this guy, guy, um, played by Ryan Reynolds, discovers he's actually a background player, a non-player character, an NPC, in an open-world video game called Free City, he decides to become the hero of his own story, one that he can rewrite himself. In a world where there's no limits, he's determined to save the day his way before it's too late and maybe find a little romance with the coder who conceived him. Made me ask some questions to myself and to us. Are we living a life that is written for us, often by the generations that have come before us and by a culture? Or are we being equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit to live a full life in a world with no limits? Do we believe that God is giving us the opportunity to rewrite the limited stories of ourselves? Are you in a safe, small role so that there are no uncertainties and you can't get hurt? Are you an NPC or are you in the arena? If you find yourself indifferent and want to change and live a full life, you have to think about this equation. There's an equation that I learned recently. And it's when change happens, it's only when the product, I love math, guys, so forgive me. You can follow along, hopefully, in your mind. Again, whiteboard here, I could have been writing. um, When the product of D, V, F is greater than R, and D, V, and F stand for D is dissatisfaction of how things are, V is vision of what is possible, and F, the first concrete steps that can be taken towards the vision. When those three three things come together and those are greater than the resistance, that's when change happens. So how do we change? So Kurt Thompson, he had written these books, and one of them was called Soul of Shame, um, and now he's coming out with a new book called Soul of Desire. And he says, desire and beauty go hand in hand, but both our craving to be known and our ability to create beauty have been marred by trauma and shame, collapsing our imagination for what God has for us and blinding us to the possibility that beauty could ever emerge from our ashes. And this reminds me of Kintsugi, what we talked about last week. Are we marveling at each other's brokenness, highlighting the scars, because we know that that is where the real beauty lies? So there's two things that I was thinking about as we... um, think through what does this look like for a church? And it's really funny and not funny, of course, how Ariana pretty much said these things. And I was like, oh, she's giving my sermon, yay. (laughs) I'm kidding, no, it's good. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit works. So one, awaken desire. Fight the comfort of indifference. It's easier to numb the pain 
This morning, I woke up and I did not talk to David. I did not want to engage with him because it's easier for my heart to shut off and to protect myself. Um, and it's easy for me to start falling back into the habits of distracting and deadening my real desires and being satisfied with the counterfeit desires. What happens when you start feeling, you start opening yourself up to, yeah, getting your ass kicked and, and getting hurt. Um, but it's beautiful. It's messy and it's beautiful and we get to do that with each other. And the second is Dare to Dream. Uh, there's a great book called Why We Sleep and Matthew Walker talks about what dreaming is. It's during REM sleep that our brain actually is able to shut down the ways that it protects itself. So it's pretty vulnerable. And that's during that time, it's able to process hard things so that it can integrate those things, so that it can reconnect things that were disconnected. And it's in this idea that you actually, you need rest in order to dream. And we are so busy and so constantly going that we don't have any time to dream. We're the NPC living in the same loop day in and day out. And REM sleep allows us, while we're dreaming, to remember and find reconnection after hard things. It was so interesting because last night my dream, I, have, I started dream journaling because I have really vivid dreams and nightmares, especially after hard things in the day. And in my dream, I had this box of all these games, but all these game pieces were missing and... It was such a mess, and my kids wanted to just play Monopoly. But in order to play Monopoly, they had to carry this big box of games because they couldn't find the pieces just for that Monopoly. I don't know what it means yet. I ask God usually. Um, this is real-time processing with you. But I think that there's something about as we carry um, around all this junk, God is asking us to clean it up. And he was asking me to throw away a lot of stuff in the dream. And I started discarding and getting rid of stuff that wasn't pertinent to that game. There's something about dreaming, though, that when it comes to those closest to you, your family members, the people in your community, they don't want you to dream sometimes. And I think about Genesis 37, and I'm going to just read excerpts from that passage. This is the... This is the you know where Joseph's brothers are like not happy with Joseph's dreams. So Joseph had a dream, and we told it to his brothers. They hated him even more, and they hated him more than ever because of his dreams and the way he talked. And then you hear the brothers later on saying, "What's with all this dreaming? We'll see what his dreams amount to." It makes me think: How often are we limited by the voices of our head that are? voices from our parents or our community that wanted to keep us safe and they don't want us to really live. They want us to be the NPC. And so here we are in this community and we are giving ourselves an opportunity to hopefully be in a safe community that can start processing dreams and start dreaming for each other in ways that we can't do alone. So how does Guy become free? So he's trying to get to a world called free life. I mean, who are these writers of this movie? It's amazing. And guess what? The embedded code of how to get there is in fact a love letter. And the coding of how we love and achieve free life in this world is the Bible, God's love letter to us. 
And ultimately, what is this love letter? It's Jesus. Jesus is the word. And it is a secret code embedded in his life and the way that he lived. Grace is God's free gift that cost him everything. And thankfully, he was not indifferent. Thankfully, God came down to this earth in the form of Jesus. So what is your resistance to change? I wanted to spend some time um, daring to dream right now in prayer. We're going to do something, um, hopefully, that you'll feel safe doing. If you can close your eyes. And if you um, can just imagine a wall in front of you, you're standing in front of that wall. It's the wall of resistance in your life for change. It's the wall saying, don't go beyond this point, it's not safe. I want you to imagine that wall. What does that wall represent? And I want you to imagine Jesus giving you a dream. And this dream you wake up from and you are dissatisfied with your current reality. And you want to get rid of that wall. And so Jesus is right next to you. And he's saying, let's take this first brick off. What is that first brick that he's removing? And the next one. And the next one. And Jesus does not throw away those bricks. He's actually carrying them. And he uses them to actually create a path in front of you. So those hardships, those things that have been protecting you, those things are okay, they're good. But now he's asking you to step forward. And I want you to imagine now that wall is down and there's something on the other side of that wall. I want you to imagine what that is. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you were not indifferent, that you came down to bear our shame. And as you bore our shame, Lord, that we were freed to love one another and to love you. I pray that whatever is getting in the way of us living a full life, I pray that you will slowly, through the power of your Holy Spirit, disassemble that wall, Lord and reassemble it into a path that draws us closer to you, Lord. 
We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.